With their daughter missing, her devastated parents relied on law enforcement to conduct a thorough investigation. To their dismay, the case was passed between departments and delayed long enough for key evidence to be lost. Despite sufficient evidence for officers to identify a suspect, they needed his cooperation to close the case. All the suspect was willing to do was plead the fifth. Decades would pass before they got any real answers. This week's episode is The Disappearance of Kristen Smart, Part 2. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. The more I've read on this case, the more enraged I have become. Why did I turn that Susan Flores interview on before we went back on the before we went on the mm. air? I've seen it. I watched it. I was irritated when I first watched it. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna refresh myself, and then I got real mad and wanted to slam the laptop shut. It's just smug. It's just she is. Uh, well. I told you what I thought of her. It was not a nice word. <laughs> it's a word. But it was appropriate. It's a word I don't have a problem saying, but a lot of people get real triggered by it. A little prickly. A little prickly by it. But I reserve it for very special people, and yeah. she gets it. She gets I it. I think so. She gets the Golden Sea Award. <laughs> um, the Well, I was, I was re-watching the interview, and I fast-forwarded to the end, because like I said, I watched it before, and this is with KSBY's Megan Healy, who's done excellent reporting on this case. And she's a genius, because she she's done excellent reporting on this case, meaning she's reported a ton on what all the evidence against Paul Flores, but she kind of sweet talked her way into Susan's backyard and you hear her kind of talking going, well, don't you want to get your side out of it? Yeah. Genius. And then at the end she says, is there anything else you want to give me? Like, do you want to send me the search warrant? And Susan says anything you can't, she says something like anything you can do to get back at that Lambert guy. So they know about the podcast. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And the the newest, the last episode of Your Own Backyard, they, they mentioned, there's a, there's some talk of a, uh, electronic communications between members of the family that may or may not reference the podcast. So if anything, him getting under their skin has, and also Facebook groups and things like that. She mentions that the media is not fair and social media is unfair. And nobody knows what they're talking about. And this Lambert guy. And it, like I said, Megan Healy was really, really, really good at her job because she said, Oh, we would love to get your side. Mm-hmm. And it's just 30 minutes of Susan Flores rambling, trying to select her words and she thinks she's being real clever. And I think she's being she's trying to choose her words carefully and mucking up a little bit. And like you said, not using Kristen's name and looking up at the sky and shifting back and forth. And it's a lot of audacity to do that. Yeah, I read stupid a stupid, too. Frankly. Yes. Yeah, she's <laughs> an a idiot. lawyer. It's real dumb. She's, shit a, she's a real big idiot. I read an article uh, analyzing her body language and the fact that she wouldn't use Kristen's name, which this psychologist said can often be an indication that the person is guilty because they feel they're trying to distance themselves as much as possible from the victim and almost pretend like they're not an actual person so Mm -hmm. you just don't refer to them by their name and she did all those things she's just the worst it's with the floreses as well as the cops 
reading everything, I just keep saying to myself, how does anyone think he didn't do it? It's a, it's a slam dunk. I mean, I mean which is genius for her, the smarts lawyers to, I'm pr- being pretty loose with the word genius today, uh, it's very tactical for the smarts lawyers to file the wrongful death lawsuit because the standard the burden of proof is much lower yeah although now with the police moving forward with the nobody homicide you know no nobody murder charges there's obviously more evidence but even so there is such a mountain of evidence i don't think it was all preemptive to file the lawsuit and the fact that it's been stayed all these years you know pending the criminal investigation but they're not gonna see any money from paul he's never done he's never amounted to much no. uh, which I think he would try to blame on this case, but I think we could see from his string of arrests, it was pretty much self-imposed, self-inflicted. Yes. And that's what's so ridiculous about Susan Flores and Ruben and their audacity to act as if they're the victims and to file their own lawsuits against the smarts and act as if, you know, they, they're they the ones that the media is is damning. Look at this evidence against your kid. I get he's your kid. But be objective. Also, mm-hmm. uh, pretty sure you guys helped him bury the body and then yes. move it. So you absolutely know he did this. Just don't say anything. You, know? you don't have you don't have to come out and admit it. But to go to to the links they have to act as if they're the victims. Give me a fucking break. Nobody buys your bullshit. Yeah, and that's you know I'm not here to. As a wholesale damn parents for the actions of their kids, because you see a woman like Sue Klebold, whose son Dylan was a Columbine yes. shooter, and she's had to reckon with what her son did and the destruction that her son did. But she ain't out there going, I, Dylan was wrongfully accused. No, I in fact, she takes the total opposite. Stance. The opposite. Yes. And she, she talks about this burden she carries and the guilt she carries. And she's got TED Talks in her book yes. and everything to try to deal with her grief and trauma and everything. So, just because you have given birth to a monster and your creation has then been the ultimate destruction of someone's life, that doesn't mean you're necessarily a heinous, terrible person. However, mm-hmm. if you enable his behavior for a bunch of years to contribute to the result, still maybe isn't the cause. Like at the end of the day, he's the one that made the choice. But after he made the choice to then not only allegedly, according to a lawsuit filed by the smarts and also possible investigation help move the body mm-hmm. help obstruct evidence for all on these multiple years. on multiple occasions on multiple occasions is what they're alleging in this lawsuit that's when you can go fuck off yeah big time that's yeah that's that's the turn you know you can't say well if you're if you're a parent of a murderer you're a piece of shit no that's not, true. not at Sometimes all Sometimes people, all. despite all uh, you know despite all the odds they can't help it but in this case, and then have the audacity mm-hmm. to do the things that we will discuss in today's episode. Oh, no. Yeah. One way ticket to go fuck yourself, town. <laughs> I cannot yeah. take it. No. It's just enraging. It's enraging. appalling. It's it is. It's enraging. It's the a, whole the whole damn family there. The smugness, like you said, is just uh, it's nauseating. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, this is a uh, this is part two. Go back and listen to part one, because this will make a lot more sense to you. But we'll get into um, all the stuff up until, um, I don't even remember where this episode ends, ends, honestly. I I think right at 10 years out, or maybe five years out. So six years out. And then we'll go through the the 
the cold, uh, not was never really a cold case, but the unsolved investigation for multiple years and then the resolution next time. Yes. So this one's going to be kind of the, the middle section and see what happens. And good Lord, again, we, <laughs> we said it's a who's on first with the police. In yeah. this, and thankfully that won't happen again after the law, but you're you'll you'll be maybe a little bit mad after listening to mm-hmm, this as mm-hmm. as we all should be and figure out what led us to this place yes yes i'm christy i'm heather and let's get into it cal poly freshman Kristen smart had been missing since may 25th 1996 she was last seen with paul flores a fellow student that was often described by those that knew him as creepy annoying and scary more alarming were the numerous accounts of aggressive, violent, and stalker-like behavior from women that had known Paul over the years. Authorities had declared Paul a person of interest in Kristen's disappearance. However, apart from questioning him, both the campus police and the investigators from the DA's office were dragging their feet on the investigation. Finally, on June 5th, 11 days after Kristen went missing, police decided to search her dorm room. Nothing of interest was found. Five days later, on June 10th, 16 days after Kristen was last seen, Paul Flores's room was finally searched. That is more than two weeks. Egregious. Yeah. I, I, I really don't think there is an explanation other... Well, that's not true. I think there's two explanations. Shoddy police work, cover-up. Possible, yes. Possible cover-up. Allegations from uh, a... What's the right word for this gentleman? Uh, I don't want to say a vigilante, but he's sort of a self-determined... Oh, Dennis man? Yes, self-determined yes. advocate mm-hmm. that he's, he claims to Chris Lambert that he saw, that Dennis Mann saw Mike McConville, who mm-hmm. is Susan Flores' boyfriend, palling around with some upper police people. So that could point to that. Also, people have said that Cal Poly didn't really want to say... We have to close the dorm off because mm-hmm. we're investigating a possible murder. It was like, everything's cool, you guys. This is a cool, fun, happy school. Nobody worry. Yes. No, nothing. She just went camping. Yeah. Trained cadaver dogs were brought to the Cal Poly campus on June 10th, 1996. As the dogs were walked separately through the dorms, each canine independently alerted to the door of room number 128, where Paul Flores lived with his roommate. By then, the school year was over, and Flores and his roommate had moved off campus, taking everything in the room with them. Additionally, a cleaning crew had already disinfected the room, potentially destroying crucial evidence. Oh, cool. I'm glad you guys waited so that they could leave with everything in there. And then had this crew come in and just sweep, mop, empty empty stuff, Clorox, take take whatever. (sighs) Again, it's Oh, it's imagine how it's so frustrating for us to be her parents. You're ripping your hair out. Oh, and like you said, your your brain goes either this is some type of intentional dereliction where you're trying to let somebody get away with it, or you're so incompetent that you let someone get away with it. Either way, it's you feel like you're being victimized all over again because sure. you pretty much are. Yeah. Despite the room having been cleaned. Each of the three dogs alerted to the same areas, a corner of the mattress that had belonged to Flores, the wastebasket, and the phone, according to the Daily Beast. The mattress and box spring were then removed, and a fourth cadaver dog was brought in. To prevent the handler from inadvertently signaling to the dog, no information had been given to them. 
Immediately, the canine reacted to the area where the mattress had just been. The dog was also able to pick out the wastebasket from a lineup in the hallway, indicating someone had either touched the basket or thrown something away that had come in contact with a dead body. And that's what this when you hear the description of this or read about it in the Daily Beats of how they did it, it was exactly how you do a scientific study. It was blind. They told mm-hmm. nobody anything. They didn't tell the dogs. They they got tenor, they got tons of wastebaskets out there, a big old long line of them, and put it right in the middle. And they said it was no question. The dogs started going nuts right at Paul's wastebasket. Yes, and they didn't tell the handlers anything. And the handlers watched walk the dogs through all of the dorms on campus, mm-hmm. over 600 rooms. They walked up and down these hallways, didn't alert to one door except Paul's. Yes. And that's if you're Cal Poly and you're worried about being known as the murder school. Hey, look at that. It's only one room out of all of them. Yes. You should at least want to be the solved murder school. I would think just that. Instead of your reputation being tarnished because you prevented an investigation and let a murderer go free, things unfortunately like this happen on college campuses mm-hmm. be the school that gets it solved and puts somebody behind bars so then he cannot victimize future women which he does yep investigators were impressed with the findings but said that the dogs can't testify in court according to the la times and while the dog's handlers could the concern was their credibility would be hammered under cross-examination with that further attention was not given to the fact that four different cadaver dogs had detected the smell of human remains in Paul Flores's dorm room. And that was the issue is that it's less scientific, you know, it's a new emerging area of science. I think it's incredibly scientific. Mm-hmm. But then you say, well, it's a Sixth Amendment issue because you can't confront the witnesses presented against you because you can't talk you can't to the dog. Yet. We haven't. Yet. We're on it. We're trying to <laughs> figure out a way. Let, <laughs> come on, way. science. Where are your priorities? I need to read more to understand exactly how they do this. But from what I understand, as soon as you die, your body starts to release an odor that is we cannot smell, obviously, until it gets to the point of decay and decomposition. But as soon as you die, that happens, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. So even if she had only been in his room... For an hour after mm-hmm. death, she's all over that room. She's mm-hmm. on the mattress. We will see that he most likely either did rape or tried to rape her. Yes. On the phone, why did Ruben? Why did uh, Ruben Flores get a call in the middle of the night the night Kristen went missing, where he Jump had to and leave, leave and mm-hmm. and go? The wastebasket. Who knows what you're throwing away in there? Mm-hmm. Or just moving it out of the way, having touched her in whatever fashion yeah. that you you took her life. Yeah. It all makes sense. If you look at everything they alerted to in that room, you can imagine how that played out. And it's just, I, I we talked about it in the last one, but with Chris Lambert being very objective, honestly, the fact that he works with a smart family, that's true. He's maybe a little bit biased, but the way he puts it is, how unlucky is Paul Flores? Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what, do you think out of every single dorm on campus, there was some crazy mishap that it just so happened that the dogs barked at his room? Mm, Occam's razor, man. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. We're seeing what happened here. The, there's a woman that's last seen with you and then the dogs bark at your door who are detect, who are trained to detect dead bodies. Really? I'm so sorry for your terrible luck. It's and like, that's, no. Yeah. And that's why it's egregious that his family acts like they're the victims and that it's completely outlandish that anyone would think my son had anything to do with this 
How do you explain that then? None of it. You can't explain any of it. And Megan Healy asked Susan Flores, you know, do you want to go through and, and, and or it's the guy off camera. It must be the producer says, what can you point to that really just says there's just, just no way? And she's like, well, his lawyers will do that. Yeah, exactly. Will they? Because I can't and neither can they. But at least I can now get out of this conversation by like, passing the buck. You're asking a lot of questions I don't have answers for. Mm-hmm. Turn the camera off. Failing to search Paul's room prior to it being cleaned wasn't the only mistake campus police made. According to the podcast, Your Own Backyard, they also took so long to request a list of outgoing phone calls from Paul's room that the records had been purged by the time they got around to it. I'm going to sound like a broken record. If a girl goes missing and the last, whoever it is, uh, whoever it is, um, it could be a child was the last person seen with her. Are you not going to look in that child's room to see if maybe there's a clue? Even maybe the maybe they didn't do anything to harm her. But wouldn't you see, oh, maybe there's a clue here that lets us know where she might have gone next. Mm-mm. It's it's like I'm not a cop. Listen, I'm not a cop here yet, but I've uh, I don't know, uh, played board games. Yeah, uh, I've watched television shows where people. Uh, inter- they they participate in scavenger hunts, and even that tells you to go from one clue to the next, and that's not happening here. So, we solved a murder the other night. We did. Heather. We did. That was good times. We say, what was his name? Buddy. Buddy. Big Daddy. Buddy Edmonds. Buddy Edmonds <laughs> on go. a what was the game called? Un- unsolved case files. Ca- yes. Paris and I went to Christie's and Tommy's house, and we uh, solved a crime together. It was very fun. We did, and we had to put two and two together yeah. and look at clues and decide. Based on the clues before us, what might have happened? This would be the equivalent if we took every other sheet out of that and just put them through a shredder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we'll see if we can come up with something. It's like you're just letting things get lost and disappear right before your very eyes. All the all the forensic evidence, the very most important evidence, just gone. To counter Lambert's point about Flores must be the most unlucky person for this to happen, or the luckiest person that because too. the evidence is there's mounds of it the point to, mm-hmm. that he is the only one that could have been responsible for this yet he was just arrested last month yeah he was running loose for 20 years to i mean so many things had to fall into place mm-hmm. for him to get away with this and they did because i'm gonna go out on a limb here and i don't think this is controversial he doesn't seem like a smart guy no i don't think he uh did what he needed to do to cover his tracks and prevent nothing he did prevented himself from getting caught. It's all the police just fucking up left and right. Yeah, I think there was uh, it was on the table and you could have taken it. And because they waited so long that the family had a chance to pull it off the table real quick. Mm-hmm. But there was there was stuff out there. Let's go through it. Let's do <laughs> refusing to take a polygraph test. Flores agreed to a police interview. During the 90-minute tape session on June 19th, investigators were able to get Paul to admit that he had in fact showered on the night of May 25th before going to bed, a detail he had previously lied about, and that he had lied about how he got the black eye. Two more red flags. He's lying about. Yeah. He says he's changing out his stereo. It's You physically can't. And what he, he, how he yeah. described it, it can't happen. It is not even the right eye for you to mm-hmm. be changing out your stereo. But... As the police, wouldn't you ask yourself, why is he lying about how he got this black eye? 
why is that uh why is that a detail that he doesn't want us to know about yeah i mean they at least they questioned him <laughs> at least he's in the station <laughs> I guess, sure you get yeah. a point you get a point for that as the questioning continued paul became visibly uncomfortable pulling his arms inside his shirt and bending over at the waist as if trying to curl into the fetal position but just as investigators thought paul was about to confess he instead called their bluff declaring if you're so smart then tell me where the body is it was then that Paul decided he wanted to leave and told investigators as much. When asked why he wanted to go, Paul said he had some stuff to clean up. When asked what kind of stuff, Paul answered that it was concrete. Pressing for more information, the investigators asked where this concrete was that Paul needed to go clean up. The answer? His mom's house. If you're so smart, then tell me where the body is. I mean, that's what a four-year-old says taunting you yeah he's taunting him and then uh in the same breath i gotta leave because i got a bunch of concrete to go clean up huh why would you maybe have just been working with concrete and why is that in your mind when we ask where a body is good point yes subconsciously he his mind went there after a month-long blundered investigation by the cal poly campus police the San Luis Obispo Sheriff's Office took over the investigation on June 26, 1996, a month after Kristen's disappearance. Within three days, a search of the Cal Poly campus was organized, consisting of 400 volunteers and several cadaver dogs. Unfortunately, nothing of interest was found. Do you think maybe because it was a month later and everything was gone? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Two weeks later, a warrant to search Ruben and Susan Flores' property on White Court in Arroyo Grande was finally granted. A week later, on July 22nd, it was served. Despite the results from the cadaver dogs at Paul's dorm room, no dogs were brought to search the Flores property. A forensics team was also not present, much to the dismay of the Smart family. Rather, the police conducted a, quote, visual search explaining that they were just there searching for items that had belonged to Kristen, like her dorm key or articles of clothing, and not her actual body. Several cars on the property belonging to the Floreses were also left untouched. You have cadaver dogs barking at this man's dorm, and you don't, you come to do a visual pat-down? It's, uh, I, I don't understand. I'm, wow. This is complete conjecture. It would make sense... If somebody was tipping them off or somebody didn't want somebody getting arrested that was in the police department, because it seems in my mind, that's it, otherwise you're just so idiotic. Yeah. I don't know how you could justify. Why aren't you looking for her body? First of all, mm -hmm. wh why you haven't found it in a month. He's told you now he had to leave to go clean up concrete. Goddamn cadaver dogs were all over his room. He I said, mean, if you're so smart, where's the body? Yes. He just told you what you needed to find. What What does it hurt to take the cadaver dogs there? Uh, unless, I don't think it does. Unless you find something you're not wanting to find. Yeah, unless you would like to just do a visual pat down and say, hey, just FYI, we're going to come by for a little visual, make yeah. sure things are tucked away. Unsurprisingly, not much was discovered in the rudimentary search. However, a few items of interest were found in rather unusual places. Underneath both Paul and Ruben's mattresses, police found newspaper articles about Kristen's disappearance. At the time, Paul's name hadn't been released to the public, meaning he was not mentioned in the articles. 
Why huh. do you huh. have a scrapbook of a deceased person who you want to... Okay. I mean, you can't make this up. It's like a film. I think it if really you wrote is. this into a movie, people wouldn't believe it. No. From the beginning, they'd say, he's guilty. Why are we watching this for Boring. two hours? Arrest yeah. him. We it's, all know he did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a struggle. to. And again, we just go back to her family that you think, okay, well, and, and every single break, whatever you want to call it, every single inch forward, you think, oh, maybe this will be it. They're going to go search the house. And the hope that they have, and to have it just absolutely dashed when the cops go, ah, well, we poked around a little bit and didn't find anything. Well, we did find all these articles about your daughter Mm -hmm. stuffed under their mattress, but (laughs) who knows? People put newspapers in crazy places. Anyway, sorry, guys, didn't find anything. Look, can you just over and over, you're getting Mm -hmm. your hopes up, and then they're crushed, and hopes up, and then they're crushed. You would, if you were me, I would find a lawyer and sue people. (laughs) Not only are they crushed, but... It's just confirming more of what you already mm-hmm. thought you knew. So each yeah. time you just, yes, he did it. I know for a fact he did it. I mm-hmm. can prove it. I mean, how is how is this such, how is this even a question anymore? Mm-hmm. The Floreses also owned a property in Arroyo Grande on East Branch Street. Normally, this was occupied by tenants as it was a rental property. However, Reuben and Susan had recently separated, and Susan had moved out of the home on White Court and into the one on East Branch. While the police did know about the property, they were unaware Susan was living there, and therefore did not obtain a warrant to search the premises. Because of this, the newly laid cement in the backyard went undiscovered. Yeah, the, the one of the interviews with a person that knew Susan said that she and Reuben were kind of off again, on again, and even when they weren't together and she was living on Branch Street, she would still sleep with sleep at the house on White Court. You mean the opposite? No, she she, she would go back to the old house. So oh, that's why, because I think she was, uh, at the time of the murder, she had things in that old house, in the Branch Street house, but that's how she was asleep with Reuben on yeah, the night yeah. of the, the disappearance that she said he woke her up in the middle of the night. Yeah, I read that they didn't separate until April. And so, they were, it was just off and on. Yeah, like she would tell yeah. her friends, okay, I'm leaving him. I'm going to go stay in this other house. Um, but she was back sometimes. Here's my question. Even if you don't know Susan's living there, you know they have that property. They have access to it. Why... Not and and you were told in Paul's interview, I need to go clean up some cement at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. It takes one question to find out where Susan's living. Yeah, and he told the uh, roommate she's at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. He told the roommate that Kristen was at his mom's house as a joke. We think. Yeah. In late August of 1996, Susan Flores rented out her home. As was later revealed on Your Own Backyard, tenants Mary and Joe Lassiter and their young son moved into the home on East Branch Street on October 1st. Mary told Chris Lambert that they were thrilled to have found a house down the street from her mom and so close to the hospital where they all worked. And she said, Mary Lassiter said, oh, the ad stated it's a rental or perhaps a sharing situation, like indicating that maybe Susan would also want to stay there. And she, she did not. She said they got accepted just a few hours after they applied. Mm-hmm. Susan had, it had been on the market for a month and she hadn't got any hits. So she lowered the the monthly fee. And then as soon as they applied, she 
She took it. They were from out of town, so they probably didn't know. Here's another question. If, hypothetically, you know that you have a body buried in the backyard of your rental property, why are you renting it out? Well, A, sometimes you just need the money. Or B, you think you're smarter than everybody and that it'll go fine and you're smug about it and you think, not only, well, then we won't, they won't suspect us because we're not living there. So if the police do find a body, they're going to think it's this couple with their young child. Surely they're going to get pinned for it. Like, I don't know. The, the logic of these folks is, yeah, I, I fail to fail to see how it works in their <laughs> brains. The Lassiters were unaware of the Flores' potential involvement in the Kristen Smart case. So when they started receiving postcards in the mail, saying things like, Please have your son come forward to tell what he knows. They had no idea what it meant. As the letters increased, some of them threatening, Mary began keeping them in a box. The letters weren't the only strange thing Mary noticed. Every morning at 4.20 a.m., a strange beeping could be heard coming from the concrete planter box underneath Mary and Joe's bedroom window. Both Mary and her mother told Lambert on your own backyard that they used sticks to poke the dirt to see if they could find the source of the beeping, but would always just end up hitting the second layer of concrete that had been laid. Eerily, Kristen had a job as a lifeguard that began at 5 a.m., according to NBC News. After a few months, the beeping stopped. That is so creepy. Some We said that's Edgar Allan Poe, telltale yes. heart kind of stuff. Yeah. And... On Your Own Backyard, Lambert interviews Denise Smart, and he plays the clip where she, this is, they don't, they're not even talking about the watch, just that she had gotten this job as a lifeguard. She wanted to pick up a bunch of shifts. The only shifts that were available because she was new were the ones at 5 and 6 a.m., and she was telling her parents, I don't have time to study because I have to get up at 4.30 every morning. Mm-hmm. That is so upsetting at the very least her watch was there and at the very worst she was there too yes a few weeks after moving in mary was washing her car in the driveway when something caught her eye a woman's earring stuck in one of the cracks of the concrete thinking it might be of value to the owners or a previous tenant she told lambert that she carefully picked it up by its hook she described it as a small dangly silver teardrop shape with a turquoise-like stone in the middle by all accounts, it looked just like the necklace Kristen was wearing in her picture on the missing persons billboard displayed in town. On the back of the earring, Mary noticed something unusual, a dark red substance in the shape of a partial fingerprint. She put the earring in a plastic bag and added it to the box with the hate mail they were still receiving. Red substance with a fingerprint? Mm. When speaking with Lambert, Mary also recalled how when she first moved in, Ruben Flores had specifically asked her not to use one of the outside trash cans. He told her he would be by the following day to pick it up, a promise he kept. At the time, Mary didn't think much of it. Looking back, she now questions what was so important about that trash can that she was instructed not to touch it. I wonder if something still was in there or because if some items of Kristen's were put in there later and they got word hey these cadaver dogs could smell stuff in paul's dorm room they can Mm -hmm. smell anything you need to get rid of that trash can my gut would tell me the latter just because it would be incredibly 
stupid of you to leave actual evidence in there. Mm-hmm. But then again, I wouldn't put it past them to think that, yeah, it's fine. We'll pick it up tomorrow. We told her not to look in it. So obviously she's not going to look in it. Mm-hmm. I imagine that Kristen had been in there at some point or perhaps uh, clothes. her clothes mm-hmm. or belongings or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is still DNA evidence in there. Shortly after the earring was discovered, a detective showed up at the East Branch house. Wanting to show they were fully cooperating in the investigation, Joe handed over the box of letters and the earring. What happened next to this potential piece of key evidence remains a mystery to this day. While Paul Flores remained the only person of interest in the case, with multiple pieces of evidence indicating he was at the very least complicit in the disappearance of Kristen, the police had not charged him with a crime. For the past six months, Paul had worked various jobs, inevitably being fired from them once his employer found out about his ties to the case. Paul then enlisted in the Navy. When Kristen's parents got wind of this, they feared the person they felt was responsible for the disappearance of their daughter was about to leave town. I mean, can you imagine he could go to another country, yeah. get off a ship, and be gone in the night? Yep. Abs- I. This is, again, my opinion. It's... If I had killed someone and I wasn't getting caught, I might enlist in the Navy, too, for that very reason. Try to skip town wherever Mm -hmm. you go. Believing he had murdered Kristen Smart and was trying to flee California, James Murphy, the Smart's attorney, filed a civil suit against Paul Flores on November 28, 1996. The $40 million wrongful death lawsuit accused Paul of taking advantage of Kristen in an intoxicated state and murdering her on the college campus. Additionally, the Smarts claimed that Paul had intentionally inflicted emotional distress upon the parents of Kristen Smart by taking the body of Kristen Smart and secreting and or destroying the body in a hidden place in the county of San Luis Obispo. According to the complaint obtained by the Daily Beast, the pendency of this lawsuit kept Paul Flores from joining the Navy. I mean, they said, uh, no thanks, bro. Did its job. And also, Mm -hmm. I think we'll see it starts to get some wheels moving and then not and, uh, get stonewalled in some other places too. One of the jobs that he had, and this is discussed on your own backyard, was at a gas station and the smarts, Denise and Stan, because nothing was going on, they knew where he worked. They went to the gas station and he came out to fill up their car, had no idea who they were. And she says, I'd like to talk to you about my daughter, Kristen. Well, he uh, he got the fuck out of there and went and hid in a storage closet and refused to come out until they had. Yeah. Again. All the behavior. It's like if you've lied about something and you get really defensive when somebody calls you out on it and they're like, if you weren't lying, you wouldn't get so defensive. Why Mm -hmm. get so defensive and run and hide and refuse to cooperate? If you don't have anything to hide. Yeah. I mean, we say this all the time of if you haven't been in the situation, you know how you would react. But I think it does say something that he doth protest too much, both Mm -hmm. him and his parents. Instead of saying, we have nothing to say for the last time. We had nothing to do with this. It's so out of it's if you all of a sudden tomorrow they knocked on the door and said, your husband has been accused of a crime this day at this time. You would say, "Okay, proceed with the investigation. I have nothing to hide. Not we're not going to talk to you or run and hide from people. It's just such a, again, it's just like their 
going overboard, which they're going to just weave weave themselves a tangled web. Mm-hmm. Because the criminal investigation is still ongoing in this case, officials are not required to turn over any evidence to Murphy or the Smarts. Presently, the case remains stagnant, with progress hearings held annually in the San Luis Obispo Superior Court. We were kind of discussing this before we turned on the uh, mics, but because of the civil case is, I mean, it's still proceeding in that they can still file into the case, but it's not going to be set for anything that uh, be, due to the pendency of the criminal investigation. But as victims, family members, the smarts are going to be entitled to information from law enforcement. Not all of it all the time, but I would assume that law enforcement is reasonably updating them. And if I'm the smarts, I'm going to turn around and tell Murphy everything. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. Immediately. I mean, it's you're right. And then when this criminal investigation is over, they're going to have one hell of a civil suit to file against him. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of evidence. As part of the civil suit, Murphy deposed several key people from the investigation, including Mary and Joe Lassiter. With Denise and Stan present, Mary talked about the earrings she had found in her driveway. To her shock, this was the first time both the Smarts and their attorney had heard about it. Hopeful for a potential break in the case, the Smarts asked the police to see the earring so they could identify if it was, in fact, Kristen's. After weeks of getting the runaround, the Smarts drove to the sheriff's office looking for answers. It was only then that they were told the earring had never been booked into evidence. Somehow, after the Lassiters handed it over to the detective, it was lost. The sheriff's department assured the Smarts, however, that prior to losing the evidence, a, quote, visual inspection had been performed, and it was determined that the earring wasn't Kristen's, as it looked like, uh, one a small child would wear. According to your own backyard. These people love ocular pat-downs. This is all they yeah. do is look at stuff all yeah. day long. We didn't need to analyze it because we nah. looked at it and it was fine. Why do you need a computer when you got two eyes? Yeah. That's... <sighs> we noticed that there was a bloody fingerprint, possibly, on the back, but we looked at it and it... It looked okay, so we didn't need to run any tests on it or anything. Who knows what it was? It was in a yard. It could have been a driveway. It could have been could have been rust. Could rust. have been ketchup. Yeah, could have been. Like, what are you doing? Could have been just uh, red dirt. Who knows? But again, coincidence. Shoddy police work. That it was lost intentionally lost because they're trying to. Help somebody out. Help I don't know. Out. The good news is it seems like the new sheriff that, that we have now, I say we like we live there, the new sheriff that the town has now um, is does seem to be making a lot more progress, is a lot more thoughtful, and hopefully has uh, discouraged the department policy of continuous ocular pat-downs. Yeah. Just analyze the evidence. You say we and then joke, but don't you feel a sense of, I I am very invested in this case i i got legitimately sad reading about this case listening mm -hmm. to your own backyard and thinking about just the loss that this family has suffered mm -hmm. and how there's been no justice served for decades now yeah. when this seems like such a slam dunk i think so many people around the world at this point are so invested in this case and feel you know as uh, i mean as, as we'll see some some people take it so far that they move to the city to help out this family they've mm -hmm. never met because they're just so blown away that this could be going on 
when it seems so unnecessary. It's it's so. I I mean, I'm not a cop yet. It seems very obvious what is going on. And the fact that not only have criminal charges not been filed, which is one thing, but that just the investigation is so fucked up. Yeah, it's like time and again. Disappointment after disappointment. When we first start, we decided on the topic and started researching. Paris said, oh, you know, what's this week's topic? And I told him and he said, you know, who is that? And I started kind of explaining and he said, well, why is it such a big deal? And I was able to, you know, initially I said, well, I don't know. I haven't researched it yet. I got to look into it. But when you look into it, it is she her case. She is more than a, you know, something that stands for something. She was somebody's sister and mom, not mom, somebody's sister, somebody's daughter. You know, she was a friend to a ton of people. But I think her case is also a study in what happens when they the department's point. Like I said, it's like who's on first. They're doing Mm -hmm. it. No, they're doing it. No, we're doing it. It's a study in what happens when there's not super tight procedure of what do you do with this earring? You who decided on a visual inspection to toss out evidence? That's completely I, I again, we keep saying we're not cops. But again, you can say as a rational, reasonable person, if it, there is an ongoing police investigation, you don't huck out something that possibly has forensic evidence on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you have to be an expert. Certain, you know, it's like, well, he put an alarm clock in the guy's chest cavity while he was doing surgery. Well, you're not a doctor, so you're not qualified to say. I think I can say. I think I can say it's not mm-hmm. a game of operation. Like, I don't have to be some expert. And in fact, I'm a lawyer. I can tell you it's fucked up. This ain't right. So that's, as the more we researched into this, it was because her case, the reason why it's, quote, such a big deal, aside from obviously the Your Own Backyard podcast and the, the LA Times article before that, is that it is a case study in how absolutely botched something can get over and over and over. And I will say it. I will bring it up. She is a well-to-do white child. Mm-hmm. She's a, a in college. She has parents that have sufficient assets. Imagine if this is a, a marginalized family, somebody mm-hmm. that or even just a family that doesn't have the assets. They're not wealthy to hire a lawyer to go after this. Not even that the, the smarts are super rich. They're educators. But just mm-hmm. having any amount of uh, any amount of uh, resources to do, to go after this. So for every Kristen Smart that we hear about, there's dozens and hundreds of other people that this is not. So I think it is important to cover cases like this and say, where are their cracks? Where are their problems? And then what can we do to systemically change those problems? And they did it with the, you know, the law change and mm-hmm. now with the new sheriff and everything. So. Like you said, I, I, we're not there, but you're right. I felt we, you feel enraged mm-hmm. when you have, it's any of us, why we you know listen to these stories or we want to study these stories is because we become a- attached to the family, affixed to the family, and we want to see that justice, not just for Stan and Denise. We want to see it for everybody who has a kid like this, and especially the ones we don't hear about, that th- these systemic issues are are fixed. One couldn't set it better myself. It's my soapbox. It's it's also something that you could have happened to either of us. Exactly. Easily. Easily. So it, it shows, again, the and each story that hopefully, you know, as, as we go and keep doing this, the podcast, we're going to tell more and different stories. And each one, I think we can take away from it how precious life is, but then also mm-hmm. how easy it is to become this face on a billboard. Yeah. Furious with them for cooperating with the lawsuit and participating in the deposition, Ruben and Susan Flores evicted the Lassiters from the home on 529 East Branch Street in early March of 1997. 
Before they were forced to leave, Mary and Joe told investigators they could search whatever they wanted to on the property. This time, cadaver dogs were brought to the property, as well as a geologist. The dogs alerted to the spot on the side of the house where the trash can had been, the one Reuben had instructed Mary not to use, and came back the next day to take with him. This is a dick move to evict this nice family just for helping the police. And again, huge red fucking flag. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, good on you, Mary. Like She's like, yeah, you can come in, do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) I'm out anyways. Sounds like an innocent, it sounds like what an innocent person would say. (laughs) Yes, it does. On the west side of the backyard, the geologist found anomalies under the concrete. While this seemed promising, he stated that he was fairly confident they were natural and not man-made. However, he also admitted that he wasn't using the recommended equipment for such a task and that it was his first time searching for an actual body, according to your own backyard. Okay, so you have an op. The window's open, and you don't send the A-team. Nah, this guy shouldn't have been there doing this. He did note, though, that on the side of the house, it looked as if a bunch of dirt, because there were stains along the side of the house, a bunch of dirt had been piled up, and Mm. you could see the outline of it on the concrete. So it... It, one could draw the conclusion that a bunch of dirt had recently been dug up for whatever reason. And then a bunch of concrete was laid where that dirt had been. Mm-hmm. And the concrete, the neighbors said, because they were deposed as well, that the concrete was laid after Kristen went missing and before the Lassiters moved in. Huh. Which lines up with the timeline of Paul being interviewed saying... I need to go clean up some concrete mess at my mom's. Yeah, it's it's all, another piece of the puzzle falls into place. If I were a cop and I was wanting to solve this case, I would be like, yes, another puzzle piece. We're one step closer because they do keep just fall, everything falls into it's line. Like it just makes, it makes so much sense. Yeah. With the Lassiters moved out, Susan Flores moved back into the East Branch property. Despite the continued hate mail, cars honking at all hours as they drove by, and trespassers trying to sneak a picture of the backyard. Now having a way to contact Susan, Denise Smart tried a different approach and reached out to Susan from one mother to another. I don't think I personally would continue to live in this city. Unless there was a reason I needed to stay there. Right, you needed to guard something, possibly, and you needed to be the one with sole possession to grant access to a place. Maybe. Where everybody knows where you live. I I uh, loved, I dug, I dug the word she used in her interview with uh, KSBY. She goes, I was stalked. You know who else was stalked? Mm, a bunch of women. Those girls. That your, son, that your sons knew from, like, the time he was in high school all the way through college. Yeah. And beyond. Yeah. A lot of lot of stalking going on, and I don't think you're the victim. Mm-mm. Denise had compiled pictures of her daughter from birth up until her disappearance. Hoping to evoke empathy from Susan, Denise mailed her these pictures, enclosing a letter pleading with her to share any information she might have. A week later, Susan mailed the pictures back with an enclosed note that read, If I want to see pictures of your daughter, I would have asked for them. Look at them yourself. This is, I told you, where out loud to myself in a room yesterday, I said, Susan Flores is a... Yep, the Golden Sea. The Golden Sea. The High Sea Award. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
Here's a couple of options. Okay. Throw them away. Yep. Burn them. Sure. Mash, stamp something on it for the UPS or USPS return to sender. Here's mm-hmm. what you don't do. Write a bitchy note mm-hmm. in response. That's some rude shit. Don't put your shit on other people. Nah. Nah. The only way I would say, okay, I get it, is if you and your son weren't 100% responsible for the disappearance of this girl, in my opinion. Well, I think, too, if you if that's true, a, a note that says, thank you for sharing these with me. We had nothing to do with it, but I hope your family finds closure. Yes. yes. Have a goddamn heart. That's what I'm saying. I mean... Fuck. It's just so unnecessary. Yeah. It's rude. It's shitty. I'm the victim. If I wanted to see pictures of your... First of all, if I wanted to see... She should have said, if I want to see pictures of your daughter, I'd go lift up the mattress in my ex-husband's or my son's room because we've got a bunch of her articles under there. Or I'd go look at the billboard of the missing person in town because, you know, my son... My son killed her. Yeah, sorry. You know, sorry. I also said there's there's so many options here, and responding with a bitchy letter is not not one. That's not an nah. option, and you did it anyway. So, mm-hmm. while the sheriff's department investigation was riddled with errors, arguably the biggest one occurred on May twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, in an interview with the San Luis Obispo Telegram Tribune, Sheriff Ed Williams stated. We need Paul Flores to tell us what happened to Kristen Smart. The fact of the matter is we have very qualified detectives who have conducted well over a 100 interviews and everything leads to Mr. Flores. There are no other suspects. So, absent something from Mr. Flores, I don't see us completing this case. I wish everyone could see my eyeballs right now. They could not get any. I look like an anime character. <laughs> You're gonna, I mean, you can't roll them back in your head. They're going to get stuck like that, Christy. <laughs> to tip your hand like that. Yeah. To say all we all you have to do is tell us where the body is. Guess what? He's never going to do. Yes. And guess and guess who else heard that? Any lawyer mm-hmm. that wants to that is going to represent him. And so then we'll see what you do if you're this lawyer. Yeah. Also, I don't agree with this statement. No. You don't need him to tell you something. When, when, how many murder cases do you have where the, where the person admits to murdering them? Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I've never uh, looked at statistics, but I'm going to say that a lot of them, the person's convicted without ever having confessed or telling, Telling the cops what happened. Mm-hmm. No, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes like a lot, they can, a lot. Sometimes they convict people who didn't even do anything and didn't confess to anything. Or yes. confess to stuff wrongfully. So I don't think you should hang your hat on the magical confession. No, it's you have a ton of evidence. So it's, it's just, again, it's almost as if they're just flat out saying to the Flores is through the television screen mm-hmm. don't don't say anything you, yeah. if you just don't say anything then we we're not going to do anything it appears to be a case study in how to look like you're investigating a thing without really investigating a thing mm-hmm. on november 14th 1997 paul flores participated in a deposition in the wrongful death lawsuit against him after each question was asked to paul his attorney melvin delamott 
pointed to a sheet of paper on the desk in front of his client that read, On the advice of my attorney, I refuse to answer that question based on the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Six months after the sheriff's admission that they would never solve the case without his cooperation, Paul would not answer anything, not even his place of work or the type of car he drove. Or whether he flipped hamburgers at the hamburger place. Literally nothing. I think he may have answered that he was Paul Flores, the very first question. I have to go back and look, possibly. I think, if I remember, I believe that's the only question he uh-huh, answers. Uh-huh. And then the rest, his smug as shit attorney, which I know he's just doing what he's there to do <laughs> to protect his client. But that doesn't mean I don't think he's he's smug as hell. Just refusing to even look at the, is it the smarts attorney that is on the other side of the table? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He won't, Dennis won't even make eye contact with him. At one point yeah. he does when they get into a legit argument, mm-hmm. but he's just sitting there staring down, taking notes, which maybe you can answer. What are, Whatever you see during a trial or something and the attorney like cross examinations going on or something and you want to act like you're doing something, but you're not really doing anything or like in this depot, Dennis just doesn't want to be making eye contact and he's scribbling. Is he just doodling? Are they really (laughs) taking notes on what's going on or is it just they just are just it's like in class when you want to act like you're taking notes so the teacher didn't say anything you're writing the lyrics to the theme song of the nanny or something yeah you're just like (laughs) which i've had that song stuck in my head for weeks now i can't oh god now i'm gonna have it stuck in my head now you're welcome so uh forever (laughs) no i mean sometimes you are taking genuine notes he may be i mean all you're you're gonna get that video everybody's gonna get that video so it's not like in the show notes you can see the whole the whole deposition yeah and it's it's not like he has to write down what's being asked because yeah again he's gonna get the video of it uh, it could be that he's he he's they came in there that day with a piece mm-hmm. of paper, large font for little Paul for him to read mm-hmm. that says he's going to invoke the fifth and they were not going to answer anything. And that's the argument they mm-hmm. get into is that Murphy goes, hey, is it going to be like this the whole time? He said <laughs> it may be an exaggeration, but maybe not. He said, I have about a thousand questions here and I don't want to waste everybody's time and go through this if he's just going to say this for every question. And he Delamar Delamar basically says, yeah, that's what he's going to say. He's going to do. But he doesn't just say, yeah, he gets he's real shitty about it. He's like, yeah, I don't need your speech. We don't have time for a speech. Grandstanding. If you want to ask questions, that's what we're here to do. Ask your questions. And Murphy's like, I'm trying to ask my questions, but you refusing to answer them. So and he just keeps getting interrupted. If you want to ask a question, then ask a question right now. I don't need any more of your speeches. I mean, he's just so aggressive about the whole thing when yeah i get that you're on opposing sides of this but you can also just be fucking people and professional and not argue with each other and in fact you're supposed to be that's your professional rules of ethics is you're not supposed to do things that and i'd have to read the california ones but like in general you're supposed to zealously represent your client yeah but that does not include yelling at people or in this case murphy says he's going to move for sanctions which is you know going to be under the California's procedural rules because of the repeated pleading of the fifth and refusal to cooperate. Uh, But also, I mean, there's sanctionable conduct can be for almost like intentionally breaking the rules or you, there's a very famous (laughs) Pennzoil versus Texaco or Texaco versus Pennzoil. Um, Joe Jamail, there's a very famous YouTube clip of them like cursing and screaming and calling each other sons of bitches. And 
what not to do as a lawyer because you're not doing your client any favors being combative like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think look at look at the court of public opinion. That shit is leaked. Now you look like a total dick who's protecting. And again, you said earlier, I know you're going to say he's doing his job. No, hell no. Just like every profession, there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. There are good lawyers and there are bad lawyers. There are good podcasters and there are bad podcasters. (laughs) You know, no matter what job it is, it doesn't give you carte blanche just because you're quote, fighting on someone's behalf, we're not fighters. Lawyers aren't fighters. We're supposed to be advocates. And the Mm -hmm. best way to advocate for somebody is to do it in a respectful manner that comports with the law and comports with the rules of procedure, which arguably he is, he isn't. Uh, Murphy said he was going to move for sanctions. A ton of this stuff is not available. Um, The, like, filings are not available. Uh, The little, like, piecemeal filings, you know, if if he did move for sanctions and plus the, the case. What does that state. mean if he moves for sanctions? So you can, if the a lawyer is doing something that you think that's not in front of a judge, that you think is breaking a rule, you can ask a judge, hey, tell them this is a no-no. Because during these depots, it's just the lawyers and their clients? Correct. There's a court reporter in the room and you can hear it at the end. She says, you know, we're going off the record now at this and this time. That's the court reporter. So not only do they film it, but they have a person there type in all that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well. So, so yeah, so the Fifth Amendment, you know, we want this. It's a good thing. I know it doesn't seem, you know, in this case, it's maybe being misused. It's being used to stonewall the smart case. But we have it. It's the purpose of it is that no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against themselves. Well, that's kind of confusing because it says a criminal case. But the Supreme Court has long said that you can invoke the fifth even in a civil context because you're sworn, you know, you're under oath in a deposition. So you're stuck in between a rock and a hard place of having to lie or having to incriminate yourself. So even though the actual amendment says compelled in a criminal case, you can still invoke it in a civil context. So in this case, wouldn't one uh, discern that he has something to hide if he is refusing to answer even the most basic of questions? Great question. So in a criminal case, when somebody pleads the fifth, prosecutors and judges cannot say to the jury, (laughs) interesting that he's not testifying or interesting that he's pleading the fifth in some states if you plead the fifth in a civil case the plaintiff's attorney or whichever other side whoever's not testifying the other side or a judge can allow jurors to make a negative inference however california has the rule that neither a court nor a lawyer can comment on the fact that a person a witness has claimed the fifth amendment right against self-incrimination and the trier of fact which is either the judge in a bench trial or the jury in a jury trial they cannot draw a negative inference from their refusal to testify so you are instructed as a jury you have to just take the fifth amendment that he's invoking and you cannot hold that against him Easier said than done, yeah, I would I mean, imagine. You know, at this they're point, they're human beings. It's on YouTube. I mean, you know what I mean. But the but I mean, I'm saying there you can't unring that bell. It's just like when a, a testimony is stricken, you know, off the record. The jury's already heard it. They're yeah. also human beings. So even though on paper and legally they are not to hold this against this person, they also are people that are going to make an opinion. Mm-hmm. And even they might not come right out and say it, but 
subconsciously it could affect how they, you know, if they think this person's guilty or innocent, or maybe they just are like, oh, right, I'll say that I don't hold this against him. But clearly he's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And honestly, you know, it's, I'm not here to judge the (laughs) competence of Mr. Delamont, but if you invoke the fifth in discovery, which is what a pretrial deposition is, is discovery, then under California law, then the court could later exclude Paul's testimony to those matters at the time of trial. So because he's saying, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth in the deposition, when trial comes around, if his lawyer's like, well, now he's ready, the judge can say, no, you fucked around. That's the legal legal term for it. But, you know, they say you can't, we can't let you play games where Mm -hmm. in discovery you're going to just say oh well i plead the fifth because i might be under criminal investigation and then all of a sudden at trial you're like oh i'm ready to tell my side of it yeah i've been i've i've had enough time to be coached and get my stuff together to where i'm confident getting on the stand now that that's a good point and the judge can do that on their own or in this case the plaintiff's attorney could file a motion uh, for the judge to, to, and ask the judge, it's called a motion in limine, which is says, hey, here's a list of things that he wouldn't answer. And I think that is why Mr. Murphy says, I would like to make my record because mm-hmm. he wants to say, the, I'm going to give you these written questions. I've already given to them to you in advance. You're telling me he's going to plead the fifth to all 1,000 of my questions. Then that probably means that Murphy's going to take that and file a motion to the court that says, he pled the fifth to all of these things. Don't let him testify on any of this shit because... He played games at the deposition and wanted to plead mm-hmm. the fifth. It'll be interesting when the trial comes around then to see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, because it's not, you know, from this, uh, when we watch it, we think, oh, my gosh, what a dick. And that, that's He's so sneaky. What a great move that he did that. But what it can also, uh, it, it can backfire, right? If you plead mm-hmm. the fifth and then you can't testify. Also, the court can say, oh, uh, if you wanted to plead affirmative defenses against this case, you can't because you refused to play ball beforehand. Now you can't change your mind and bring those up at trial. So, What are affirmative defenses? So if you said, yes, I killed her, but it was an accident, or yes, I killed her, but it oh, was self-defense, yeah. or something gotcha. like that. You, And then when he said, I'm going to move for sanction, then one of the sanctions you can ask for is to exclude evidence, meaning that the defendant's the defendant later would not be able to include introduce any evidence at trial to support his case to defend himself. And that's Dang. a question you can ask the court. So, you know, if you want to say, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth and not participate in the discovery process. OK, cool. Well, we'll get to court. We were willing to play ball. And now here's our whole case. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask the court, hey, these people fucked around and, and, you know, they put up a barricade around themselves and wouldn't even cooperate to answer simple questions like, did you like something that you could ask the court to take judicial notice of, which is a stolen car? You could say, was your car stolen? I plead the fifth. OK, here's a police report where you made a call and you let them know your car was stolen. Did you make this police report? I plead the fifth. At some point you get to the you go to the judge and say, listen, this is something you can take judicial notice of that there exists a police report that says his car was stolen and he's not even answering. We want you to sanction them and prevent them mm-hmm. from introducing evidence at trial. And the court's allowed to do that. And it's a really high standard on appeal for overturning that because a, a trial court has broad discretion at sanctioning a party that, that is like in this case, I would say willfully refusing to comply with discovery requests. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's people don't, I mean, 
like I said, I don't know about this Delamont fellow. Mr. Murphy said, you know, you're well respected in the community. Maybe. Who knows? Let me just hazard a guess. He knows more than me about Paul Flores that that may have been his only choice, knowing what he knows that he's like, dude, don't even say a damn word because you're mm-hmm. so fucked. And that may be true. And knowing, hey, we're also going to lose this lawsuit because we're not going to be able to present evidence. But do you want to go to jail for the rest of your life because you answered stuff in a civil case? Or do you want us to get sanctioned, lose a civil case, and you still haven't said anything on the record that would incriminate you in the criminal case? So, yeah. again, it could be a bigger game. He's playing a bigger game. But on the one hand, it's fucking frustrating as hell to watch that deposition. You want to slap the shit out of him because mm-hmm. he's like, and you just like, I just want to just like, Ugh. yeah. But when you really suss it out, what the implication of that strategy is under California law is that. They may lo- then lose the civil case later. Like, A, does it matter? Do you think Susan, Paul, Ruben, Flores have $40 million anywhere in their mm. life? Susan said no. she's going to write a book, though. Uh, so great for her. But sh- so did OJ. Just saying. So, yeah, if you, yeah. you know, yep, if, yep, yep. so they may win the civil case. But as paul's lawyer you may say we're going to take that calculated risk that we get sanctioned in the civil case and we get barred from introducing evidence or from presenting these defenses i'm doing that to keep your ass out of jail mm-hmm. like it may be Wish worth it worked. It. yeah <laughs> so far <laughs> this was also not long after the oj case after nicole and mm-hmm. ron were, were murdered you're right you're right but i think just as a whole on the fifth amendment it's it's a good thing because it's not just sure. a criminal case. It's when they're asking anything that could be unfairly used against you. So you, we all want to have that, but you can see, and and, the, and I, I hope that explaining the really boring ins and outs of California civil procedure will at least show that even though the Fifth Amendment exists and it protects Paul, hopefully it would also protect an actually innocent person, mm-hmm. but that also there are other uh strategies tactics ways to still get the result that you need even if somebody is putting up that barricade and saying i'm not going to answer anything because of the mm-hmm. moment but frankfurter says that assuming that someone who justice frankfurter is a famous jurist that assuming somebody that pleads the fifth amendment is guilty that assumption does scant to honor the patriots who sponsored the bill of rights so we want to keep our our um constitutional protections and that's why it's good to have these rules that punishes people for misusing them. Well, I appreciate that explanation. I feel like we all learned a lot. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me talk about <laughs> constitutional rights. It's you're, one very, of... you're very smart. Oh, well, thank you. It's my uh, <laughs> I'm a good studier. <laughs> I don't just. Well, you know what? Not a lot of people are. Oh, and please. you retain information more than maybe anybody I know. <laughs> I mean, you'll ask me questions. I have a degree in psychology. and You'll ask me questions. And I'm like. I don't. I don't remember. Study that. I don't know. Let me go. Let me Google it. No, I did study. I just don't retain stuff well. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Um, I just don't have a good memory and stuff. So it's all. I think it's all traced back to anxiety. But that that's could be a, a conversation could, for another day. Could be it too. <laughs> um, my favorite thing to talk about is amendments. <laughs> well, there you go. Amendments. I love amendments. I just love talking about man. Amendments. In July of nineteen ninety eight. Sheriff Ed Williams left the department that same month, as discussed on your own backyard. The sheriff's department publicly stated that they were merely assisting the Cal Poly campus police in the investigation. Meanwhile, Cal Poly was saying they had turned the case over to the sheriff's office. This is a goddamn joke. Who the fuck's in charge? 
No one so knows. Said, this is what I said. It's who's on first. Yeah. By early 1999, Sheriff Patrick Hedges took over the reins. One of his first orders of business was to enlist the help of the FBI with the investigation. 1,000 students who attended Cal Poly when Kristen went missing were interviewed. Unfortunately, no new evidence was found. Someone DM'd us that they were a student at the time, and they were oh, interviewed, really? but she said she was out of town that weekend. So she said, you know, I felt bad. I didn't really have anything to tell them, but that it was quite a time on campus that people were... Did she say if people would just be walking to class and there would be a cop there and stop and ask them information or an FBI agent? She said they used a big net to catch them when they were walking. <laughs> no, no, she didn't. She didn't specify. They all told him there was a kegger on campus I believe... and everyone just showed up and then they questioned them. Yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, free beer in the quad. Wait a minute. This is interrogation <laughs> booths. Uh, I just imagine they set up temporary booths like uh, mm-hmm. confessions. But no, she she mentioned she lived and I apologize. I can't exactly remember, but it was either in Kristen or Paul's dorm. So I'm guessing they just okay. they went through the talked dorm, to talked to everybody there. that yeah. stayed there at the time. Yeah. You know who else was going to Cal Poly at this time? Hmm. Um, Lacey and Scott Peterson. That's right. They were seniors. Strange there. connection. It is. Yes, it is. Cal Poly's like, we are not the murder school, you guys. Please. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Paul was also offered a deal, I believe, to where if he would just give them information, the smart said they would drop the civil case. And I think I want to say it was like six years or something he would serve mm-hmm. for just information. And he was like, nah. Not not doing it. I think it's uh, at some point, too, we talked about it's probably a control thing, too, that you feel Joe, like sure. I have <laughs> millions of people are talking about this. And these two stupid ladies from Texas can't even figure out where the, you know, and you think <laughs> I'm the only one with the information. Oh, I guess your dad, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. The cops are to be and, believed. So, and it, you're wrong. you know, even if they offered him something for their own peace of mind, knowing that he would be back out on the streets in a danger to the several women uh, mm-hmm. that have come forward then why would you, you know, if you have that power and the sheriff told you that you had all that power, why would you? Why would you? They just told you they have no leverage. An encouraging moment in the case occurred when Governor Pete Wilson signed the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act into law on August 11th, 1998. It requires all publicly funded educational institutions to contact their local police departments immediately with cases involving violence against students, including if a student goes missing. Well, if there's a silver lining, yeah. this is one. Exactly. This is one of them. Because like Stan said, they treated her like a missing bike. Yes. Instead yeah. of taking it more seriously. So if it, even one kid gets saved. Mm-hmm. With the FBI now involved, a search warrant was served to Susan Flores at her East Branch home in the early morning hours of June 19, 2000. The affidavit read, Kristen Smart is deceased and either died in Paul Flores' dormitory room or as placed there for an unknown period of time. Based on the information in this affidavit, Paul Flores is responsible for or has direct knowledge of Kristen Smart's disappearance and or death. Reasonable cause exists to believe that Kristen Smart's body is buried in the backyard of Susan Flores' home at 529 East Branch Street. FBI agents searched the property for nine hours, where, in addition to Susan, her mother and her boyfriend, Mike McConville, were also living. On your own backyard, Chris Lambert notes that since the last time the property had been searched, a garage had been built over the area where Mary Lassiter had found the earring. Yeah, and several of these searches, they would say, oh, okay, well, we uh, 
you know, we're, we're going to search the yard. And Susan would go, yeah, but not that part over there. And the cops would go, okay. I'm just shaking my head right now because I yes. don't understand how that is a thing that ha- could happen. Yeah. They're like, we're, we're, we'll cooperate with you, but not that. And that, this is that's a later search when it has to do with the civil case. But still, the idea that they they just told you where they just told you where it's at. Yeah, because she told yeah. you search anywhere but that. Don't look over there. Don't look over there. There's nothing to see there. <sighs> Using more advanced ground penetrating radar equipment than in the previous search. A man-made excavation about six feet long and five and one-half feet deep in the backyard of 529 East Branch Street. Was found, according to the FBI search warrant affidavit. Despite this discovery, the decision was made that day not to dig up the yard. There are conflicting reports on why this was decided. Some present claim a vote was taken, and the majority decided not to dig because it would be too expensive to replace the concrete they would damage in the event they didn't find anything. Others say there was no vote, and that the fact the ground equipment they were using was so advanced, they felt digging was unnecessary. Regardless, the result left the Smart family, and the entire community, reeling. Jack hammer the fuck out of the concrete. Dude. Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? No one gives also, the fucking shit. I'm heated at this point. I don't, you've just, also, uh, if they find nothing, you get a free Reconcreted backyard, brand new at the city's expense. Also, you guys, the city has money, probably have insurance. I don't know. Just, just I can't remember the shit. What is happening? Yeah. Again, the windows open. They don't bring the A team. They don't take the opportunity. Someone that was there said the investigators took the vote and were like, "We don't want to have to pay for this if we fuck this up." Who gives a shit if you like? That's insanity. Just yeah. dig it up. This is th- that's ridiculous. You have that you put in an FBI affidavit. You have something that says a man-made excavation about six feet long and yeah. five and a half feet deep. How deep are par- people buried in the ground, Heather? Uh, about six feet under. How long would you, she? It's Kristen was five eleven. She was six foot, wasn't she? Well, she was close to it. Yeah, six five six feet five eleven. Yeah, sure. Okay. Interesting. Just seeing how that math works out. You know that that is there. Your your equipment that you brought in just told you this. That you found a grave. Fucking what, dig me, it up. I'm going to translate. Science terms. A man-made excavation six feet long and five and one half feet deep is called a grave. Yes. What you said is we found a grave. We found in a the grave backyard. and we're specifically searching for a girl that went missing that is believed to be dead and that this person... The mother that lives here, her son is the prime only person of interest. We found a grave in this backyard. What a you know what? Let's not dig it up because Fuck. we might be wrong, and then we're gonna have to pay for the the remodeling. Yeah, it's twenty one years ago. Twenty one more years after this day, after they found again. Let's just translate this: a grave. Twenty one years later, and this is why so many people feel so connected to this story because you're just you can't believe this is true correct that that i mean it's i have no word i'm speechless and rarely Mm -hmm. am i speechless but i'm just i mean (laughs) really everyone that listens knows that it's oh i can't say egregious enough i don't know what's what's worse than egregious 
uh, it's well, it's a slap in the face of the yeah. family. And I think you're right. I think we do all feel connected to the case because, like I said earlier, if you see the surgeon put an alarm clock in somebody's chest cavity, you don't have to be some expert. So I think a lot of lay people that are interested in this type of stuff, you can look at this and say, wait, surely I'm not the first person mm-hmm. to say that this was a massive fuck up. And yeah. You're not, buddy. You're no. not. Me neither. None of us are. Uh, the the smarts are, are uh, you know, front row seats to how big of a fuck mm-hmm. up is, and the rest of us have just joined the arena. But it's getting bigger and bigger, and I think that's the benefit of having eyes on cases like this is that maybe there should be a regulation, a law, departmental policy that unless it's going to, you're like going to bust up a Da Vinci statue or something. And even then, that is a human person. Mm-hmm. It's something can be replaced, mm-hmm. especially shittily porn, cheap, like poured, not like pornography, but like <laughs> shittily done, cheap ass concrete in somebody's backyard. Mm-hmm. Just jackhammer it up. It doesn't matter. What? Let me say, did it cost, would it cost a million dollars to repave this shitbag backyard? I doubt it. Would it cost $40,000? Maybe. That's fine. I get it. Backyard stuff is real expensive, but it's not worth more than someone's life. Mm-mm. And also getting a criminal off the street who later goes on, lest we say it again, to victimize several more women who have come forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, choices have action or choices have consequences. The other thing. Once they left the property, that search warrant is done. It's done. Yep, so one and done. Yep. So they their window is while they're there. And you only get one shot. Yes. Do not miss your chance Dude, to blow this opportunity. Eminem comes fucking prepared us all for this moment. How do you let this slip out of your hands? Spaghetti, sp- just like spaghetti. Yeah, Dude. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, there there's got to be. I know actuarial books will show you know, or there's certain. Uh, grids like if you lose a limb or something like that and you're trying to get a payout from insurance like oh your thumb is worth you know four hundred thousand yeah, dollars yeah, but yeah. your pinky's worth 28 or whatever there i don't think that there's a table that could tell you oh this concrete's actually worth more than her life or her you know family's uh solving the case so yeah you're right you should just leave it and who unless the chief or the, the main sheriff there's no chief it's the sheriff's department unless the sheriff the top guy is there to tell you and even then Ask the city manager or the mm-hmm. city council, whoever's in charge of you. Say, hey, I know our budget for search warrant execution is $4,000. This is going to be about 10 times that. Can we get a one-time exception? Because this is a huge case. And we're going to look like fucksticks on international media if we don't do this. So It's one of those where the buck stops with somebody. And mm-hmm. it's, in this case, the sheriff. And then the people above the sheriff and the people above that. And thankfully, at least the governor somewhat got involved. But unfortunately, when it is local law enforcement, it does become a local thing. Yeah. Good God. Do you think she was there at that time? Or do you think... Because here's here's the thing. I think she was absolutely buried at this property upon her being murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. But if the concrete is laid over it, then the Floreses would arguably have to destroy that concrete to get her body up and move it to another location, which speculation that she has since been moved. I I took it to understood that the whole backyard was paved, but for a planter that was shaped like a grave and that 
there was busted up concrete chunks. So say it was like a big old square and a, a chunk was cut out of it, that the concrete was busted up. She was buried, concrete poured, dirt poured on top of that, and stuff planted on top of that. We can confirm. But that's, that is, yes, that's what I understand, too. So I think that having the choice not to dig up all the concrete or whatever, they left her down there. And they're like, you can't get another warrant. You've already come by and you found nothing. What are you going to... So you uh, what think she evidence? still is at that property? No. I believe in February of 2020, they moved her. But how would they have gotten her out with the concrete being on top of her? They jackhammer the concrete. It's not permanent. You can bust out right, concrete. Right. But was there evidence that that happened? According to the amended civil petition, there is supposedly evidence that Mike McConville... Susan Flores and Ruben Flores moved her body or participated in the movement of her body on in February of 2020, which would have been right after Your Own Backyard had aired. And I think that podcast got under their skin. We're skipping ahead a little bit to what do we think? But I think that was like, oh, fuck, everybody's saying dig up the yard, dig up the yard. Mm-hmm. It's happening. They're going to come after us. We got to do something. That is conjecture based on the amended petition that was filed. If that is the case, that is pretty ballsy to take a jackhammer to the backyard of where many people think you have a dead body. And mm-hmm. how would you even conspicuously do that? I'm not entirely sure if there's like a privacy fence. I believe the um, language in the amended petition, and we'll cover it next time, says something like undercover of night. Yeah, but you still got the noise. I don't know how you could, uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit of research on how you could unearth concrete without a lot of sound. I keep saying jackhammer it because to me that's the easiest way, but you could just crack at it. I don't, you know, with like yeah. hand tools or something. And if you're working on, you know, my neighbors work in their backyard, you know, you hear noises all throughout the day. You wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, those floreses are digging up that poor girl. Yeah. You know, you may just think, oh, they must be working on something. Or you wouldn't even know that the sound came directly from that house. It's just somebody somewhere is doing some sort of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, very, very sad to say, 21 years later or 20 years later, what are you really going to, when you unearth yes. that, what does the remains look like at that point? And it's not going to be maybe as hard as one would think to move if it has, dis- you know, decom- decomposed to the point that it could be transported in a smaller receptacle. I imagine it's just bones at that point. Yeah, I think so. I think so, unfortunately. As a way to honor their beloved Kristen, the Smart family held a celebration of life service on the fifth anniversary of her disappearance. In an interview with the Napa Valley Register, Denise Smart said, We talked about it having been five years with our minister this Christmas. We wanted to have the service somewhere where we could be close to where Kristen is. Pismo Beach was the thing that Kristen loved best about the Central Coast. The following year to the day, Denise and Stan Smart made the heartbreaking decision to have their daughter, legally declared dead well that's what susan flores says in her interview that girl that's missing i mean they declared her dead but really she's just missing mm. go fuck yourself susan flores Gosh, i want to sh- i'm gonna get a t-shirt made that says that. <laughs> i mean she seems to have it in for chris lambert it's kind of like we said with scientology to get declared an sp mm-hmm. uh i think again i i think we both are thoughtful in our choice of words and they're litigious people and have sued the smarts i wish you would <laughs> I wish you would. Call me. Email me. I got a lot to say to you. Mm -hmm. Got a lot to say. 
Any individuals with any information about Kristen's case or any other incidents regarding Paul Flores, including assaults or other criminal acts, are encouraged by the district attorney to contact San Luis Obispo County Crime Stoppers at 805-549-7867 or online at www.slotips.org. Donations to the Kristen Smart Scholarship can be made at www.kristensmart.org. And they particularly have asked um, people on the southern coast of Florida who may have had run-ins with him at bars or had witnessed him at bars uh, because they are investigating a string of sexual assaults. They also, at the beginning of Your Own Backyard, the episode specifically state that the statute of limitations have run out on this case except for murder. So anyone that comes forward with anything will not be charged for, with a crime. So if they, if you were a student at the time yes. and knew, yeah, you could come forward. But as far as his recent sexual assaults, yes. those statute of limitations have not run. No. Um, come forward. If you know of something, if you are a victim, anything to seal this guy's fate even more than yeah. it already has been. Yes. Yeah. Well, we talked about a lot about what we think. Is there anything we haven't covered? I think we covered, you know, the what went wrong and hopefully what going forward in future cases can go right. And then we'll cover the next, you know, 15 years and where we'll see a little bit of uh, closure as well as just the repeated crimes. Yeah. That Paul Flores continues to commit. Yeah. And we haven't talked about this really, but also... The night she went missing, two um, car covers were reported stolen from the parking lot of Paul's dorm and oh. a golf cart, a campus security golf cart had been missing. And there was also a report, I believe, of him wheeling like a almost like a, a big metal cart that you would use transporting like food or something or a ton of uh, maybe like laundry. Yes, yes, across the campus. So all these things, my question to you is what do you think happened? Oh, that's a great question. Because um, I'm sure I, there are a lot of people that want to know exactly what we think happened. Yeah, I, th I think that they fought in the vestibule of one of the buildings, mm -hmm. which is what the Australian exchange student saw, and then ended up in his dorm Somehow, do you think he forcefully got her up there? Uh, I think, or she had been, you know, there was conjecture about whether she really was drinking or if there was some type of substance, mm -hmm. GHB or something, possibly, of course, without a body, you can't test that. Sure. Um, that would have made her compliant or confused or able to go up there. And I think, um, what the I agree with what the DA uh, or the sheriff has said in the press conference is that he attempted to force himself on her, which, as we've seen, he had a string of inappropriate encounters with women. And then since then, there's been multiple, I think, at least four women who have come forward that he sexually assaulted them. And there's been DNA linking. So it's not just, oh, well, maybe, you know, so and then either successfully did it or was in the midst of it. And she was bigger than him. You know, mm -hmm. and she was strong. She was a swimmer. He's, you know, little creepy Paul. Um and so I think she, if she was able to tr start to overpower him, he either somehow subdued her with 
a blow to the head or some t- suffocation, something like that, to calm her down, stop freaking out. Because I I don't know. We didn't hear anybody on your you know your own backyard, or there haven't been other reports that we've seen that he had taken it quite this far with the woman. They he told you know he had told some in- investigators he was a virgin. His coworker, you know, he had, lo- you know, she tried to walk him upstairs and he had tried to lock her in the apartment with mm-hmm. the lights off. That might have been like he's escalating, right? He was groping women. Then he's trying to lock them in a room. Now he finally is in a room with the girl and having her fight back. And then he panics or he, you know, who's to say? Maybe he did. Only he knows. But finding that she will not come p- come back to, you know, come to calls his dad and then the where the location of the room was pretty it was kind of off that it's not really an alleyway right but it's it's easily accessible by automobile and i think called papa mm-hmm. wrapped her in something took her away um buried her in the branch street location hid her probably in maybe in the garbage can while they had to dig that concrete up mm-hmm. cuz they had to dig up the concrete make the grave and then put place her there put the concrete over it, put the dirt over it, forget to take her watch off, and then rent the house out. The beeping is, you know, driving the poor Lasseter family crazy and then doesn't get searched or doesn't get, you know, dug up by that warrant. Later on, we'll see in the civil warrant, they say you can search anything but that area over there. And then when your own backyard comes out, what my piecing together of comments from the district attorney was, oh, we've had uh, an influx of electronic evidence. I think probably... Uh, The family, at least, you know, maybe at least dad, likely now with the amendment to the lawsuit, mom, dad and uh, mom's boyfriend got skittish with Paul and they all were texting each other, emailing or something. There's some type of they said electronic evidence that everybody goes, oh, my God, did you hear it? They're saying they and when the podcast comes out and the dig up the yard dot com website, you know, Dennis Mann had his dig up the yard website saying this is where it's at. There's a whole thing about, and we'll get into it in the next one, about there's significant evidence that there, the body was in that backyard, that they freaked out, that they heard that, and they were like, oh, shit, this podcast got it exactly right. We're screwed. We have to do something. That would be based, based on all the evidence that we've heard so far without having the links, but just, you know, mm-hmm. piecing it all together, what we've heard from civil, criminal, and then comments and press conferences that that then they, according to this new law, civil suit, this amended civil suit was that they dug her up in February of 2020, moved her. And then I think the police were trying to figure out from February 2020 to March 2021 where she went, mm-hmm. trying to track them down because uh, they, you know, they recovered the cars they recovered, you know, so they really after they hired that cold case investigator at the the sheriff's office, I think they started making significant strides. So we'll go through that piece by piece, I think, in part three. That's exactly what I think happened. Look at that. It's almost like the pieces are all there. <laughs> and they're asking like, yeah. to be you put just together. To, yeah. That's um it's an interesting point too about the trash can of her being in there the whole time they were digging that, which probably took a few days, I would imagine. To yeah, maybe a day or two. Hammer up a bunch of I mean, I doubt she was in there for too long or uh, there might have been an odor that alerted people to yeah, what was going on, but yeah, yeah. And I think that's why he had a black eye and scratches oh, sure. on his knees and rug and burns on his knees. Rug yeah. burns on his knees and scratches on his hand was from mm-hmm. trying to overpower and attack yes, her. I I think she definitely fought back. 
Mm-hmm. And the only part of it I'm not 100% on is, did he intend to kill her? Exactly. And I think what a good defense attorney for him would say, you need to tell people that this happened. However, uh, we'll go over it, the nitty gritty of California law and what he's been charged with. But I think because police are um, saying that he took her life in the commission of the fe- like in the commission of a sexual assault, that it would still be murder. So even if you take the intent away. So we'll talk about all that um, and get ready in the next one. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content, including our Am I the Asshole, our relationship segments where we read and discuss what Reddit has to offer, and my new favorite and yours, our Judge Christy segment, yes. where we ask Christy legal questions and she lays down the motherfucking law. <laughs> and now... Christy Mer- Judge Christy Merch is coming. It's, it's about to be up, you guys. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also hop on occasionally, and we're hosting monthly Q&As with Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. Our next one is the 24th at 2 p.m. Central Time. For our patrons not in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. If you select this option, you will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Please keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop on the top banner. Coming soon. All new merch with our all new logo, but we'll still have some throwback merch for you too. But uh, we're uh, redesigning our merch store. We're really excited to unveil it for you guys. Yes. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy, where can they see a cool <laughs> screenshot of you in Judge Fonda's <laughs> support court? Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace where you can see said picture. Also, if you're on TikTok and who isn't, uh, I don't even know the the girl's account oh, that's been posting it- all these. It's multiple accounts. Oh, shit. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes. So if you type in, if you search hashtag support court or support court with Vonda B, Vonda B is now posting her own videos. But then there are also people who are screen recording them off of YouTube and posting uh, support court with Judge Vonda B. And there is an episode that features Christy and Tommy. And before you ask if it's really them, take note that the names are different. And that also the jobs are different. And And that they're not divorced and that their kids are more than six months apart. (laughs) And that it was filmed years ago. The wildest part is this was filmed, I mean, five years ago. Oh, was it really? Four or five. Yeah. I mean, we had just, it was long before Ella. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's very I funny. I think though. so. I'm almost positive it, it was before It said it was uploaded Ella. two years ago. Maybe, maybe we did have Ella. I oh, honestly no. don't remember. It was around three years ago or something. So maybe we had just had Ella. But yeah, we did this thing. And for whatever reason, it's now blown up all over TikTok. So um, you can watch popular. the episode on YouTube or on TikTok. I'm thinking about making my first ever TikTok, you guys, <laughs> to duet. I think that's what I it's think called. I think it's what you call it. Yep, yep. With, with this video to answer a lot of questions that have been in the comments, which are golden, by the way. You have but, uh, to stick around to the end and watch Tommy's bit and your reaction at the end is so good. So good. Oh, it's probably a lot of eye rolling. I remember doing a lot of you're eye like, rolling. You're going, really? Really? <laughs> really? It's so funny. And Tommy's like, yeah, 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 as he's lathering himself in hand sanitizer. It's so funny. Oh, uh, well, that's, you can find that on my Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and you can find where I never tweet, but I always think of fun tweets and then I think I should tweet this and then I never do <laughs> at Christy or GTFO. Heather, where are you? Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Heather versus the world and on uh, Twitter at MCK versus the world where I recently tweeted that I had the nanny theme song stuck in my head. Oh, so nice. Follow it. Follow at your own risk. Damn, I'd forgotten about it. And now it's re-stuck <laughs> in my head again. Oh, As man. always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Wendy. Claire Vots, Jazz. Kaylee Ramage. Taylor Blumkin. Rebecca. Ellie Trombetta. Kirsten Johnson. Maria Teresa. Brooke Pugh. Gisela Lopez. Nicole Watkins. Cassie Yost. Amy Hamrick. Kelsey Chambers. Kendra Thomas. Tessa Boston. Laura Ellison. Stephanie McGinnis. Elise Reynolds. Sarah Carson. Drew Sandalands. Shelby Richardson. Pia Sophia. L. Congelieri. Lindsay Genero. Carolyn Lovell. Aaron McCormick. Gwen Skelton. Amanda Black. Kate Stanley. Ashley Jones. Jonathan Saunders. Kaylee DeLong. Nicole Wright. Mike Aracy. Ellis K. Ryan. Mandy Lutha. Ashley Stapp. Megan Graybert. Sydney Reicheson. Mandy Santangelo. Patricia Amaro. Ray. Montana. Suzanne Rudolph. Cameron Cortez. Issa. Lizbeth Corrigan. Rebecca White. Aaron. And Brandy Daly. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We sincerely appreciate it. We couldn't do this without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Sinister. Sinister.